Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. We just finished Season 10 and we're gearing up for Season 11, which will feature Heart Warrior siblings. In the interim, we're going to put a spotlight on cardiac athletes. Lars Andrews actually wrote a book called Cardiac Athletes, and he has been a guest on Heart to Heart with Anna. Cardiac Athletes features stories about athletes who have undergone cardiac procedures. Some of the athletes were born with congenital heart defects, and some have acquired heart disease. Today and for the next several weeks, we'll be meeting some cardiac athletes. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Richard Gardner. Good afternoon. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm eager to hear about your cardiac condition. Okay. Well, right now it's fine. I had it repaired, so it's it's working fine. I didn't know I had a heart condition until I was 57. I went to the doctor. I had something else going on, and she took my vitals, and when she got done, she said, well, you have a cold, but has anyone ever told you you have a heart murmur? And nobody ever had. That was a little bit more than a surprise, I would say. Uh, One of my first thoughts was, well, I guess I'm not immortal. Next thought was, uh, I guess if your heart gets broken enough times, it breaks for real. That was related to some, you know, other personal things in my life. So there I was. I had this condition I didn't know I had. I'd been fit uh, most of my life, you know, all my life. I'd been an endurance athlete, and there I was. Wow. That must have really been a shock. The thing is that when we're sick, a lot of times it makes those murmurs easier to hear. So if you were such a fit person, you probably didn't see the doctor a whole lot of times being sick. You know, I had some testing done, and after the testing, they discovered that I was born with a bicuspid aortic valve, and they worked fine for a long time. Sometimes they worked, you know, fine for a person's entire life, but frequently they start to leak, and I was in my 50s, and that's not an unusual time for the bicuspid valve to start leaking, so nothing may have been happening for those 57 years until I went to the doctor for that other condition. Right. You might have just had a teeny tiny bit of regurgitation and it didn't really affect your life very much. A long time ago, I met a cardiologist who told me that bicuspid aortic valve happens in 3% of the population and it's actually the number one congenital heart defect. I've read that too. Since I was first diagnosed, I've you know gone online and gone on YouTube and things like that and found out that it's a fairly common congenital heart disease. And actually, I have a friend who's part of the cardiac athlete group. I guess we'll be getting into that somewhere. And I call her my cardiac athlete twin sister because we both had the exact same story. But then I'm realizing that an awful lot of the people in the group would be my cardiac athlete twin brothers and sisters because, you know, we've all had the same story, very fit, kind of shocked by uh, what happened. Actually, with me, I didn't have any symptoms, which is a little different, I think, than some of my friends. They started feeling weird and wondering what's going on. I never had any symptoms up to the day of surgery. Wow. So you did have surgery for your bicuspid aortic valve. Tell us about your surgery. Okay. Well, let's see, where do I want to start? As I was researching what was going on, I learned that early on in the diagnosis process, I guess you'd say my cardiologist looked at some test results and he saw that the initial test said the aorta was mildly dilated and he wanted to get a better look at it. And so I couldn't find think of a good time. I'm backtracking a little bit, but I couldn't think of a good time to get the testing done that he wanted to do because I was training for an Ironman triathlon. And he said, well, we'll just do it after the, after the Ironman. So I did Ironman Lake Placid in July. 
That was 2010. And uh, a week later, I went back and had what's called a transesophageal echocardiogram, uh, where you swallow a echo thing, and they, they can get a better look at your heart than with just a regular echocardiogram. And after we did that, he said, I want to so get a better look. So I went in for an MRI, uh, which is a whole other story in itself, lying in this tube for over an hour while they take pictures of your heart and you hold your breath and stuff like that. So after, I, after they got all done with that, I went in to meet the cardiologist and he said the, uh, that my aorta had dilated to 5.3 centimeters. And by then I had learned that when it's around four and a half centimeters, they start thinking about surgery. So, so he referred me to a surgeon. So I met with a surgeon. He knew I was a, you know, a triathlete. I'd just done this Ironman. He recommended I get a tissue valve so I wouldn't have to deal with the anticoagulants. So, so I did that. I had started a new job. I had to wait for five months before I could get the health insurance. So I had to wait five months to actually have the surgery. And the doctor wasn't worried that in that five months anything catastrophic would happen? He, he didn't say anything that he was concerned. I've heard, I mean, I've seen people now being on different groups on Facebook, different heart support groups. Sometimes people get up there as large as seven or eight, eight centimeters, which is pretty big. So wow. 5.3 is, is big, but I guess it's, uh, he wasn't worried about anything catastrophic. So, so I, I went into the surgery and I actually treated the surgery like a race. Well, I'm always exercising anyway. And before a big race, I'll do what's called a taper. So I'll sort of gradually ease off the exercising so I'll be you know, strong and fit as I possibly can for the race and rested. And so I tapered for the surgery. So I went in, had the surgery. It was fairly uneventful, I guess, as far as these things go. It was a big deal for me. I was somewhat nervous about it, although not not extremely nervous. You know, woke up, things worked worked well. So I did have some moments in the months leading up to it of of thinking, and this might sound morbid. It didn't seem morbid to me. It's just a, an awareness of okay, this is my like maybe this is my last Christmas, and maybe this is my last year, New Year's, and it wasn't wasn't really a, something where I was grieving it. It was more just kind of being aware and, and being able to live in the moment. Yeah, That's the kind of thing, you know, you hear about people who meditate and people are always kind of striving to be able to do that sort of thing. So that was actually kind of a nice little assist in, in, in trying to stay in the present. So did you have to have an open heart procedure or were they able to do this transcatheter? Oh, no, they did the whole, you know, slice through my sternum. And, oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, I like to tell people that I, you know, I was dead for a while. Yeah, you kind <laughs> of were. You had a machine putting the blood through your body instead of your heart doing it while they were working right, on right. it. So that's a pretty scary right. thought, but you had a good anesthesiologist, it sounds like, who woke you back up. That's the important thing. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. Well, and I tell people now, I was never somebody who, like, really worried about end-of-life stuff. But now I tell people, you know, there's nothing to it. Literally. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to it. I didn't see a white light. I didn't, there was, you know... Oh, was you just, just weren't that I close, Richard. That's for a while. <laughs> you were I, just in a holding pattern. I ceased to be for a while, and then I was uh, reborn, I, I guess. I guess so, with a, with a brand new valve. With a brand new valve that seemed to be lying there. It felt like it was pounding out of my chest really? uh, when I woke up. Okay. Yeah, I talked to my cardiologist, and he said, no, that's nothing. And, uh, and I hear people with mechanical valves mm-hmm. can hear it clicking all the time. Right, um, right. I've actually had friends whose children have mechanical valves and I can hear the click. But you get used to it after a while and it's a life-saving device in your heart. So if you have to deal with a little click, and I'm sure the newer valves aren't as noisy, but the click is definitely worth it to keep you going. The most common theme that I hear is why. She always needed um, a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it to help me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. 
Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. A lot of people who have open heart surgery like this, especially somebody who is not a baby, is going to have to have some cardiac rehab. Did you have cardiac rehab after your surgery? Well, you know what they did? They gave me this piece of paper with a walking program on it, and it started off something along the lines of walking for a couple of minutes, you know, four or five times a day. The surgery was in January in Syracuse, New York, and the temperature outside was probably in the tens, you know, right. in the teens. literally freezing. And I didn't like the idea of walking around in that, and I think I might have even seen something about it wouldn't be a good idea to be breathing in all that cold air. So right. the first couple of days I did the walking in, in my girlfriend's house where I was staying. She was taking mm-hmm. care of me. And then she would drop me off at the mall. Sure. And so I'd go for a walk of whatever, half an hour or so. Um, but they never really gave me any other. I didn't go to cardiac rehab. So after six weeks, kind of got the all clear to, to go ahead and work out again. And so I did. Well, actually, before that, I was doing the walking and I was also doing a little cycling. But I was doing it on, I was concerned about putting my hands on the handlebars and putting any stress on my sternum at all. Mm. So I had my mother's old exercise bike with a big fat seat on it. So I was able to sit on that without touching the handlebars and just cycle for like maybe 40 minutes. At a wow. Time. Well, it sounds like you did your own cardiac rehab. Well, yeah, basically. And then, yeah, like I said, when I got the all clear to start exercising again, I, I started like a beginner. I did what I tell beginners to do. I went to the track. I Walked five minutes, jogged for a minute, walked five minutes, jogged for a minute for about 20 minutes. Kind of the same thing in the pool, did a lap, rested for a little bit, did a lap, rested for a little bit. And just over time, slowly started, you know, decreasing the rest breaks and ad- and increasing the running time or the swimming time until, I don't know, three, four, five months. I was, I was kind of back to, I don't know if I was back to where I'd been, but I was up there, you know, probably swimming for an hour, running for an hour. Wow. Uh, something along the lines. Uh, cycling for, well, it's hard to cycle for an hour, and more than an hour in Syracuse in the cold weather. So. <laughs> right. Right. That's why it's nice that you had an exercise bike, a stationary bike that you could use. So what does being a cardiac athlete mean to you, Richard? Well, you know, I was thinking about that question. I mean, in, you know, in some ways it was everything. You know, it's, it's definitely a change in my life. And I'm part of this group. You know, I can connect with other people who have similar issues. I'm part of a community. It's part of my identity. It's also something, once in a while, on some of the, uh, again, on the Facebook uh, support groups for different heart issues, somebody who first finds out they have an issue, you know, they're pretty upset. And I, I think sometimes it's helpful for them to hear that this guy had the same thing and he, and he did an Ironman triathlon a few years later. So there's that. On the other hand, I guess it's been so long now. It was seven years ago, seven and a half years ago, I had the surgery. I mean, I think about it every day, but I sort of don't think about it every day. I don't worry about it. I just go ahead pretty much and do what I want now. There was a time about two years after the surgery, a year and a half after the surgery, I was going to do a big long triathlon and I went into my cardiologist for a routine checkup and he didn't like something that he saw on the test results and he told me he didn't want me doing the long triathlons. He he felt like the shorter ones were okay, but he didn't want me doing any long ones and so I was really upset at that point and started getting second opinions and that's how I stumbled across cardiac athletes online. I was typing in Ironman triathlon and bicuspid aortic valve replacement and found them and it was over time like I was so I was asking them, you know, what I should do if it was safe for me to do this and I didn't really get an answer. And I found another cardiologist that gave me a second opinion and he said, Go ahead and do what you want. I had my cardiologist saying no and I had this other guy saying yes. So then I went to Cleveland Clinic and had them do a whole battery of tests on me 
Mm-hmm. And again, the answer was kind of ambiguous. You know, um, mm-hmm. I could do it. There were some risks involved, and I was basically kind of educated about it. Mm-hmm. So this was over a period of I didn't go to Cleveland Clinic till about three years after my surgery, and then I was still in touch with cardiac athletes. And I just kind of decided I don't remember exactly what it was. I decided my compromise between what my cardiologist had been saying and what I wanted to do was I wasn't going to do any intensity. I would just do kind of low-level aerobic activities to get ready for the Ironman and do it. And so I did it in uh, 2015. I did it. And then a month or two later, I went to see the cardiologist, and he said, everything looks good. So since then, I've been more relaxed. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that that was nice. So now I'm kind of more relaxed. I mean, I'm 65. I'm not going to do a whole lot of intensity anyway. I probably think more about the other limitations. I have a knee that doesn't like me to bicycle on hills. So I'm not really running much because my knee doesn't like it. So I'm doing some jogging in the water and and things like that. So that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. So it seems like being a cardiac athlete isn't a whole lot different than the athlete that you were before you found out you had a bicuspid aortic valve. Am I right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's at first, you know, like I said, there were limitations, but now it's kind of I don't know. I'm 65. I don't think about it. I mean, I think about when they put the valve in, they said, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years before it would need to be replaced. Mm-hmm. So I'm aware of that. The last time I went to the cardiologist, he said he wasn't aware of anyone who had my generation of valve needing to have it replaced yet. So I don't know how many years that is, but I don't know. That was kind of a hopeful sign that maybe I won't have to have it replaced after all. And if I do, I'm thinking they'll probably be able to do it in through my groin now this time instead of having to cut me open. the, the Right. The, the amount of surgery that they can do transcatheter now is amazing. I just attended a conference in Houston with mended little hearts. And there was a doctor there talking about interventional cardiology and how the surgeons and cardiologists are able to work together to replace certain valves. And it's not for everyone, of course. But it is promising. And since you're doing so well now, hopefully by the time you do need a valve replacement, they'll be able to do something, like you said, through a catheter instead of another open heart procedure. But you are going to be bringing so much hope and inspiration, Richard, to others who have bicuspid aortic valve. I mean, a lot of people who have perfectly fine hearts can't do an Iron Man. (laughs) So kudos to you for sticking with your dream and keeping that endurance to be able to do the triple, the running, the swimming, the bicycling, and not be totally worn out. I'm worn out just thinking about what you're... what you've done, and I'm younger than you are. So kudos to you, and thank you so much for coming on Heart to Heart with Anna. Okay, well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. And listeners, if you're interested in learning more about the book Cardiac Athletes, check out the link to Amazon in our description. Are you going to be contributing to the book, Richard? I did actually send my story in to Lars a year or two ago, and he's waiting to get enough stories from everybody else to do volume two. Right. Great. So you will be part of volume two. That's fabulous. And so friends, thanks for listening today. Please come back next week when we'll feature another cardiac athlete. And until then, remember my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.